You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We head to Deutschland today. Well, actually, Deutschland comes to us. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. <laughs> Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting The Coffee Hour. We are so grateful for your support. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us in studio, Deaconess Kim Biltman, serving the Lord in Germany. The Deaconess in Deutschland, welcome back to KFU on The Coffee Hour. Thank you. It's good to be here. Always good to chat with you. Nice to have some time in studio while you're here back on a, a reconnect and yeah. reconnecting with us here at the IC and with those who support you in the field. I, in the past, we've talked online and yeah. sometimes mm-hmm. that can be technology can be challenging. <laughs> and so we're grateful to, to be in person today. Let's talk about the, the communities in which you serve in Germany. You serve two cities, is that right? Yep. So I'm based in Leipzig. That's where I live. And then there's a city about 60 miles away called Chemnitz. And we also have a group of refugees there that we serve. So. And how have those communities changed since you've been there? Because you've been there, what, six years now? Uh, yeah, six years. Yeah, so, how, so how have you seen those communities change since you started six years ago? Yeah, that's a, a good question. I mean, in Leipzig, our our immediate neighborhood is a lot of immigrants and refugees, but also Germans. And the Germans that are in our neighborhood, I think, are still in our neighborhood and, and still... Uh, people that we greet on a daily basis and interact with. And and as far as immigrants and refugees, there's been more that have come in and new people coming in, more Ukrainians in the last mm. couple of years, for example, but also continuing to see an inflow of, of people from Iran and Afghanistan too, as situations in their countries are not ideal as well. Yeah. How does that change a city? First of all, Leipzig, a city with much like many traditions, like we're talking Bach. I mean, this <laughs> right, is, right. But, but, you know, so much rich history in Leipzig, mm-hmm. and then we see so many cultural influences now, especially with immigrants and refugees. How does that? Is it a melting pot? What does it look like to see so many cultures converging in oh, one yeah. city? I mean, it's it's. It's interesting. I mean, it's you walk down the street and you might hear seven different languages in the span of like a 10-minute walk. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I find it really interesting and I'm always kind of listening to hear what languages am I hearing and, and where are people coming from and who might I be able to interact with and that sort of thing. So, it, I find it interesting. And also, the food options are very diverse and oh. you get a lot of international <laughs> cuisine to try. So, that's a lot of fun. But, yeah, I mean, but the... The, the 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 Germans are still there, and they still hold on to their traditions and their history as well, and their and their culture. Our neighborhood is probably a little bit more diverse area of the city where our church is, but we I sing in a, a very traditional choir that the director recently retired as the cantor of the Thomaskirche. So oh, he wow. he kind of when he retired, he didn't have all the spaces available to him as easily as before. And so we opened our church and had the Box Christmas Oratorio in our church last year. So it was a, a pretty fun thing to, to bring this very traditional, rich German thing into our neighborhood where maybe not a lot of people were familiar with that or appreciated as much, but... It was the first time I ever saw every single seat in our church pews completely full. So that is so cool. It was and what really a cool, cool. opportunity yeah. too to and be able to do beautiful. that <laughs> in Leipzig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've meant, we've mentioned refugees a bunch, talking about the immigrants. What what do you actually do on a day to day basis? I know we've talked about this before, but what is what is your role? What do you get to do? Who do you get to interact with? Sure, sure. 
Every day is pretty full and and also different. So I guess maybe I'll start on Saturday. Saturday is our day to go to Chemnitz. So we start the day getting on the train early in the morning, taking an hour and a hour and 20 minute trip to Chemnitz. And then we have worship there. If you see our church in Leipzig, it's pretty nice and old and fancy looking. But in Chemnitz, we just have a simple office building that we meet in. So just our outreach center there. But same word, same sacrament, same same liturgy and hymns and everything, but just different setting. But we, so instead of ringing the church bells, Pastor Hugo brings his trumpet and stands out on the steps of our <laughs> office and plays the trumpet to call people to worship. So that's kind that's of fun. Awesome. <laughs> but we have worship there with them. And then afterward, coffee, sometimes food. And time for them to, you know, ask questions or bring documents that they need help with, that sort of thing. Mm. So that's, we basically just have one day a week in Chemnitz to kind of connect with the people there and support them in whatever ways that they need. Sunday then is our full day of worship and church life in in Leipzig. So we start with a German service in the morning, 10 o'clock. We do a Persian service at 12.15, coffee in between to have interaction between the two groups. And once a month, we do a combined service in both languages together. Monday is Kids Day. So we have a kids group. We have a teen group. And then we have, or we're talking about when I get back in December, starting just trying something different that we've never done, an English language Bible study. So we've got three Americans on the field right now in Leipzig. And so we thought, even if it's just the three of us having Bible study in English together, that's a good thing. But a lot of people are interested in learning more English and they, they get it in school, but, you know, interacting with native speakers is mm-hmm. a draw. So we thought, let's just try that and see see what happens. So uh, Tuesdays are usually our translation day. So mm. I'm usually working on preparing worship stuff. So uh, translating the prayers, um, different parts of the liturgy, sometimes hymns if I have a strong need for a certain theme or topic and I don't have a good song in Persian that we can use and I'll but something comes to mind then I'll try to do a hymn um and then we have in the afternoon like open doors at our outreach center so mm-hmm. um Wednesdays is also a full day of open doors to for Germans and refugees um at the outreach center we have our Persian language bible classes and baptism classes on that day and then we end the day with open doors to the church prayer and and singing in, in the church and then a little supper after that and then thursdays we have our team meeting we have our persian classes we have a teacher who comes and spends the afternoon with us and we each um, have an hour with her she helps pastor hugo correct his sermon and then she helps me make corrections to hymns and prayers and things that i'm translating and and then rachel is just getting started on on Learning the language. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Okay. You've mentioned a few people. Tell us about the the brothers and sisters you get to serve alongside. <laughs> okay. So we have Pastor Hugo Gavers. He is actually South African with oh. German roots. So one of his ancestors a few generations back was a missionary from Germany to South Africa. Whoa. And then they stayed and settled there. So he he really was only had a South African passport before he moved to Germany. I, I actually stepped foot on German soil before he did, even though he's like 20 years older than I am. So <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing. But he German is his, his mother tongue. and But he also grew up like speaking English in school. So he's very multilingual and has learned Farsi now since working with the Persians. He's been in Leipzig for, goodness at least 15 years, I think, working in that role. And then we have three of us from the LCMS, so myself, and then Rachel Krause is a career missionary serving with us, and Mark Winterstein is a geo-missionary who has been there about a year, but he'll be actually returning back to the States after Easter. 
And okay. then it'll be Hugo and Rachel and I. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have a good good team. We enjoy working together. And Yeah. yeah. How is the language acquisition coming? Because, I mean, you're talking about translating, which yeah. is, that's a whole nother level <laughs> of understanding a language and being able to take English and make it make sense yes. in the yeah. language. Yeah. Because I kind of started working on the prayers. I mean, my first role in language and using the Persian language was singing it, mm-hmm. just listening to to recordings of people singing and and imitating that and then I started learning it and then at the next job I kind of took on was translating the prayers each week for our service and so I so I've gotten pretty proficient at that and that doesn't take much time now but but I so that means I know like prayer language you know really well <laughs> <laughs> but the the biggest weakness that I have right now is probably understanding the spoken colloquial language uh. and so I have to still kind of ask people to slow down and like repeat things because it they get going fast and the spoken language is so different from the written language oh. and so what I studied for most of my time so far was the written language and so my teacher we kind of set up because I've gotten a lot faster with the prayers we've set up a rotation so every other week we do we work on prayers and hymns and then on the other week she's just really working on developing my ear for the colloquial spoken language fascinating yeah <laughs> and something we haven't mentioned today we perhaps we've mentioned in the past you went to germany with great german language skills yeah, too you yeah. studied german throughout high school and college as well right yeah well i studied it yeah in, in high school and then i did my internship there so yeah. yeah yeah so basically. so you so you went in with strong german language mm-hmm. skills mm-hmm. pretty decent english skills too <laughs> Fairly good, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Although both English and, and German are, are suffering now that I'm learning Persian. Oh. <laughs> Funny how that happens so, too, yeah. Um, so. so you mentioned doing translation mm-hmm. of prayers and hymns. Yeah. How easy is it to find Lutheran resources in Farsi? Oh, it's not. It's not possible. <laughs> and then also I'm translating from German, from our German hymnal and agenda. That's, oh. Yeah. A lot of times I have to really think about because like the agenda I've this past year, one of my big projects was taking all the seasonal proper prefaces mm-hmm. and translating those because we only had one. And so when we did combined services, depending on the church season, the German prayer was different from what we sh- and we always just had the generic one for the Persian. And I was like, let's let's just get the seasonal ones all done. And that's kind of what I've been working on. I still have one more now for the end of the church year to do. But when you look in the German agenda, it's written, you know, several hundred years ago. It's it's complex sentences and language. <sighs> and my Persian teacher, she's awesome, and she is fluent in German and English, and obviously Farsi. So we work together on that, and and it's really fun to work with her in all three languages and be able to kind of bounce things. But when I show her the original German prayers, she has no idea. She's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> so so I have to like kind of explain it in English. So a lot of times I'll translate things into English first and then translate it into Farsi, but, or at least think about it in English, like how... What is this phrase really? Like how do, I need to break it down kind of, because Germans can get these really long, like... With all these phrases, and then you kind of have to like go back. Okay, now what? So what is this actually saying? Okay, now we get it. And then yeah, 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 yeah. And like one word that in English is an entire sentence, right? Right. To explain what a one word <laughs> yes, in German yes, is, yes. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's really though. interesting. A lot of times, oh, yeah. what I do is I'll look in my German Persian dictionary, 
at some of the words. Sometimes they're not in there. <laughs> but because if they're older, like theological words, they oh, maybe aren't in the dictionary yeah. that I use. But then if I have a lot of options for the Persian, then I might look in, then I'll look those up in. Actually, I like to look in on Wiktionary. Oh. And it will give me like the etymology of the word and a lot of history. And because one of the things that the Persians are kind of really wanting to do is is use Persian language as much as possible because there's been a lot of Arabic influence into their language and the Arabic oh. words being used. And we try to, cho- to choose Persian words. But it doesn't always work because it's, it's had a strong influence for a long, long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever envision so much work in linguistics <laughs> when no. you started serving as a missionary? No. And before I got this call, I think I might have mentioned this on another interview, but I was serving at Concordia, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And we had a student from Iran who became baptized while he was a student. And, and it was a really cool thing. And I remember... Like hearing him on the phone with his family or seeing him write things on a piece of paper. And I just remember thinking, like, what is that language? Like, there's no way I will ever learn that. <laughs> and then and God laughed. Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, yep. He got a big kick out of that one. <laughs> well, we have more to learn about Deaconess Kim Beltman serving the Lord in Germany here on the Coffee Hour in just a moment. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today we're talking with Deaconess Kim Biltman. She serves the Lord in Germany and has become a linguist now, studying <laughs> languages, a million languages under the sun. Some of the most challenging languages, too, learning Persian and translating from German into Persian directly, sometimes German into English. <laughs> now, you mentioned translating hymns and prayers, things like that. Liturgical resources are very challenging. Lutheran liturgical resources mm-hmm. are very, they don't, they're non-existent right. <laughs> um, um, in, in that case in Persian. What about things like Bibles and other resources, mm-hmm. Bibles, maybe catechisms or so, Concord or anything like that? The Bible has been translated into Persian. Mm-hmm. There's actually even multiple versions of it that we can choose from. When Pastor Hugo first started uh, working with the Persians, he built a connection with Lutheran Heritage Foundation. And so mm-hmm. they got a catechism drawn up pretty quickly in the Persian language and the children's Garden of Bible Stories yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. is also a more recent project. And so, yeah, so basically those things are coming out of out of Leipzig and out of the people that we know and in, in working on those things. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic to be able to have more resources since mm-hmm. you guys are, have really started building uh, quite a resource and uh, being able to serve all of the, the people that you're able to serve. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Now, you mentioned one of your days 
Saturday, I think it was. Yeah. People bring papers to you. Oh, right. Yeah. So what kind of other services do you provide? What are some of the other things that these refugees need help with? What are some of those other like yeah. real yeah. life cultural societal needs that these people have that you're able to help them with? Yeah. There I mean, there's a lot. They're obviously coming from a very, very different culture, different language. They come mm-hmm. in oftentimes traumatized and mm. without the language skills to be able to navigate Life in Germany, a new culture, the bureaucracy, applying for asylum is a a complicated process. And Mm -hmm. so there's just a lot of day-to-day things that we're helping with. So Saturday is the day we do that in Chemnitz, and then Wednesday is the day they can bring their stuff to us in Leipzig. And then we're pretty much there every day, so people will show up every day, or we'll be going out and meeting them like at their lawyer's or at their doctors or different places to help them translate. Or maybe we'll be on call if we can't go with them and say, okay, he'll, they'll say, I have an appointment at this office today. Are, are you available if I need to call you to help talk to the people in German for me and explain what I need or whatnot? whatnot. So just all those kinds of things. And then, so navigating all of that, we, we obviously try to help them with their German. They, they are able to take classes in Germany, but then just kind of helping them um, develop their German skills and then helping once they have asylum and they need to find a place to live outside mm-hmm. of the refugee housing, finding apartments, which that honestly for me is like the hardest task <laughs> I think that we have to do. It's almost impossible. It is just so hard to find them housing and then helping, you know, when they're looking for work and yeah. So I actually was recently a guinea pig for a guy that wants to become a hairdresser. I let him cut my hair. So. Oh, that's <laughs> so, cool. Yeah, just just whatever they need. You know, there's lots of lots of daily day to day needs that they're wanting help with. So yeah, yeah. so whatever. Commitment to service. I yeah. love it. That's amazing. <laughs> Other challenges that that the refugees face in their new life. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, not everyone is is welcoming mm-hmm. to them in in the new country and they have also sometimes intercultural tensions mm-hmm. with people from different countries that maybe their country has tensions with. So there's a lot of that. We've had guys who we had to try to help move get them moved out of their refugee housing because somebody a Muslim saw them reading a Bible and threatened them. So Ooh. things like that. Yeah, there's yeah racism, open racism sometimes on the street that they deal with and face, and so they come and talk about that, and then and and sometimes they're shocked. Like even my Persian teacher, who's been there for a, like ten years and speaks perfect German, mm-hmm. sometimes deals with that still, wow. and she she just doesn't understand it. You mentioned uh, a Muslim seeing one of the refugees reading a Bible. Yeah. What are some of the the challenges or risks that these refugees take in studying God's word Mm -hmm. and and publicly confessing Jesus? Sure. Well, I mean, where they come from, it's illegal for them to convert to Christianity. Mm. But because they're in Germany, it's not as big of a risk, but they are sometimes fearful of other Muslims who might be aggressive towards them because of that. Or sometimes if their families are still in Iran or Afghanistan and it's found out that some member of their family has converted, it can be dangerous for them. Yeah, We have had also, um, when we do our baptism class, we 
do it live online so people can participate from wherever. So we have other refugees in other parts of Germany where there maybe isn't a a Persian-speaking pastor, and so they can take our classes. And we've even had people from Iran participate in those classes Wow! online. And one of the guys, he was in the WhatsApp group that we had for the class, and we at one point he wouldn't see him, and then his wife contacted us and said, take him out of the WhatsApp group because... He's been arrested and they took his phone and we don't want them to find out about other people that are in the group. So. Oh, wow. So this is this is a real threat. Mm-hmm. That's incredible and really sad. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So what is that? What is the... What am I trying to ask you now? <laughs> I'm, I'm like processing <laughs> what, you're, what you're saying right yeah. now. What is the draw for people? When they come to you, mm-hmm. are they... Are they coming to look for Christianity? Are they coming just for resources and, and you're able to connect them to these baptism classes? What does that look like for them? Yeah. Since this is such a risk mm-hmm. and and a dangerous thing for sure. for them bodily. Yeah, I mean, it varies. Uh, a lot of times it is just, I mean, it's, it's known among the Persian community that we speak Persian mm-hmm. at our outreach center and at our church. And so when new Persians come to town and they're looking for help, people point them to us. And so that's how we know or how we get a lot of people coming through our doors because they hear hear about us through the community and they come. Sometimes they are looking to, maybe they started reading their Bible or a Bible in Iran already secretly mm-hmm. and wanted to learn more about Christianity or they wanted to be baptized. Sometimes they come just because they need help, but then they end up in our classes. So it, it, it varies. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I would say in general, the Persians are kind of like nominally Muslim mm-hmm. and they're open to the concept of God. Like they, they don't doubt that there's a God, Yeah. but what they see from the Islamic regime in their own country is not what they want to be associated with. And so they're looking for something else already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. How have you seen in your time there six years now, how have you seen the the Lord at work in his word, in his sacraments? I mean, you, you've mentioned baptisms, baptism yeah. classes, yeah. services. I'm Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just amazed every day that people are still coming and that people <laughs> are coming to hear the word and being baptized. And, you know, there's and it, it feels like with the Persians, it can go very quickly sometimes. And they're just like really eager. And then there's also... Um, there's the people in the German community where it feels like it's never going to happen. Um, but you still see evidence of God at work there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I I talked about our summer camps in the past, and we had a, like a little girl, for example, who came to camp five years ago. She used to come weekly to our kids' program with her brothers and sisters. And at camp, she listened to a devotion and her family, they're very strong atheists. So they are always saying like, you know, we don't believe that. You can go, you can hear those Bible stories and learn the Lord's Prayer and sing those songs. But at the end of the day, we're atheists and we don't believe any of that. So that was mm. kind of what was being reinforced at home. And at camp, when Pastor Hugo was doing a devotion, he said, God likes us. And she interrupted his devotion and she said, no, he loves us. And I was like, whoa. And she just was singing these songs about Jesus from the top of the playground whenever we had a break. And like, just really, I felt like God was really working in her heart. And after that camp five years ago, we never saw her again. Hmm. And I I felt like 
maybe her parents were worried that she was becoming a Christian. But they, we all, we tried to reach out. We tried ringing the doorbell or calling them. And at one point, the mom said, "Well, we're kind of worried about people in the neighborhood, and we don't want to let the kids out of the house. So basically, they could go to school and come straight home. That was it. Wow. So just this summer, I started seeing her again in the in the park near our church. I would be riding my bike to church and see her." And she had two little younger boys with her that I didn't know. Turns out those were her little brothers. I would stop and be like, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. How are you? And come back anytime. And, you know, what's going on? And, and then we did a big evangelism festival this past fall, first week of September, every day. And we printed 2,000 flyers and handed them out throughout the whole neighborhood. And she and her brother, two little brothers, came every single day to all the events. Oh, wow. And then one afternoon I was teaching rhythms on the cajon drums mm-hmm. and I was playing this rhythm and at camp a lot of times I'll, once everyone kind of catches on and is doing the same rhythm I'll start singing one of our camp songs with it you know just to you know have a little fun with that and so I saw this girl walking nearby and I remembered the her favorite song that she always sang at the top of the playground so I started singing that <laughs> to see what would happen I mean it had been five years and she was pretty little but she started singing it along and I was like, what? <laughs> so afterward, I went and talked to her and I said, I can't believe you still remember that. And she said, do you still go to camp? And I said, well, of course, yeah. And she's like, do you think my brothers and I could come next year? And I was like, you better come. <laughs> so just seeing that, like how it's something that I kind of had given up hope on, you know, like, and God is still working, mm-hmm. even, even though there's this like five year gap. Mm-hmm. And I thought. Oh, well, that's a lost cause, but no, not with God. That's so so cool. (laughs) How can we follow the Lord's work in Leipzig and Chemnitz, what you're up to and your partners in in the mission are up to? Well, we we have newsletters. If you go to the lcms.org slash Biltman, for example, you can sign up there for my newsletter. And then I have a Facebook page, Deaconess in Deutschland. You can follow that. Some fun pictures there yes. as well. Everyone's well an update of them. Yeah, I can't always show a lot sure. of faces, but try to do what I can. Yeah. Well, it's been great catching up, hearing your story, and thanks be to God for his work there mm-hmm. in Leipzig and Chemnitz. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.